You know, I don't know if you folks believe in serendipity or kismet, but today is April 14th. That makes it 414, which as many folks out there know, is the area code of the greater Milwaukee region. And why do I mention that? Because, of course, we have EY from SoFi joining us in just a few minutes. But this is Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined, as always, by Dan Nathan. This Market Call is brought to you by three presenting sponsors, Dan. FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. The aforementioned SoFi. Get your money right all in one application. And, of course, Open Exchange because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. I dare you say that as quickly as I did. I'm telling you right now, Dan Nathan, on this 414, this might be a day six months from now we come back and say the market did some funky things, a little funky Cole Medina. I'm Wait, just throwing it back to you. You're with making that one. a day that will live in infamy call as it relates to the market. This is right, one of got, those days where just put a little yeah. one of those tabs or something, not the I, soda, I, the thing, you know, the paper. I don't thing. disagree with you, man. I think there's some really interesting things. I think the worst thing going on, and we're going to talk a little bit later about it, is just the, the price action in the banks after earnings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were acting so bad into earnings. The fact that they, you know, reacted and they just are going lower. The Wells Fargo is just downright messy here. JP Morgan following through. Not great action but i will ask you one question this is a really important question what is your favorite wisconsin-based sitcom guy because there are many of them okay and you will not be on the same page as me and we will most definitely ask liz that question what what is yours well it's the young ladies that worked at shots brewery we didn't rehearse this by the way that would be not laverne defazio and shirley feeney that's Back fact. to you. But so I'm I'm more of a that 70s show sort of guy here, guy. I'm a bit younger than you. And I probably guess that Liz is going to be in the happy days camp. All right, moving on. Let's let's talk about markets here, man. Again, I mean, I see nothing good going on out there, guy. I mean, like really, when you look at the stock market, you look at rates and, you know, on a day that rates pull back a little bit, like we saw yesterday, you saw the stock market rally, but you had crude oil, which was down earlier in the week and then it was up. There's a lot of moving parts here. And as, you know, uh, the dude would say, it's a very, very complicated case here, Maude. The dude abides without question. Yeah. And, you know, we've been saying this for all. I think one of the reasons the market rallied yesterday, just my opinion, is the fact that the yield curve sort of steepened a bit, more than just a bit. The yield curve steepened a lot over the last week or so. We saw twos, tens negative. So twos, tens, I think it had to almost 40 basis points. Bond market's broken. So I don't think we should be taking our cues from that. But what we should be looking at in terms of the cues is exactly that, because That's our first chart of the day, as they say. And this one doesn't look particularly good, Dan. Again, just for going back and talking about it, broke the 200-day moving average, traded down to that support level, retested it on the upside, seemingly failed. Looks to me as if we're going to get into that danger zone. Dan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so QQQ, not the QUE, as you were kind of kind of alluding to, I think, here. I think that at this 340 level guy, where the QQQ is just above here, if you go back a year, right, in April, those were kind of the highs here. From So from purely a technical standpoint, I think you get through there, and then you have that air pocket down to the prior lows near 319. There were also the lows in May of 2021, but there were the lows last month. And listen, we know the main 
main event is coming in a week and a half or two or so, right? That week of April 25th, we are going to have Microsoft, Apple, mm-hmm. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter. I mean, all of our favorite, you know, mega cap tech stocks, they're all going to be reporting. Now, you and I also know that when you say, all right, well, the likelihood is that a couple of them are going to be good, a couple of them are going to be bad, they're going to cancel each other out. But if there's anything fundamental with just a couple of them that speaks to the potential pull forward, the, the supply chain disruptions, some of the higher input costs as it relates to the, the ability to pass through those costs and what it means for margins, that could be the thing that takes the market down or the next leg lower because we know that, you know, really we're just waiting and seeing on a dozen names or so, right? No, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. And, you know, the one that scares me the most and people are going to be saying you're a hater. I'm not a hater. I'm not anything. I'm I think I'm pretty handsome, but I'm not you a hater. Handsome. I'll say this. I think Apple to me is the one that sort of sets up the most precarious. You know, you had that big move to the downside. You had the subsequent rally. It's been sort of chopping around here. You know, we're not going to get drilled down on Taiwan Semi, but you're starting to see things that indicate that maybe Apple is going to be a bit of a disappointment. And maybe sort of that 138 level that I've been talking about for a while is in the crosshairs. I mentioned that only in the context of this triple Q chart, because if yeah. that in fact happens... This danger zone will be tested, Dan Nathan. All right. Well, Guy, I mean, listen, in March, it did. Apple did make a new low. Okay. So if you look at that, we don't have the chart right here, but there was a series of lower lows from January to February to March here. And then it went from 150, okay, directly to 180. All right. You can do the math on a $2.5 trillion market cap company. You know my conspiracy theory, and I know you love a good conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. I think the Fed, they don't want to kill the stock market because large portions of the stock market have already been killed. But I actually think they're in there and buying Apple. I mean, when you look at that move, it went up in a straight line in like 10 days, okay? Nearly what, 20% or so. I just think that's entirely unnatural. There's no reason why individual investors, given what we know about the state of the supply chain, consumer demand, you know, all that sort of stuff. So to me, that looks crazy time. But let's look at the SPY really quickly, guys. Yeah, and because, before we look, at, let's yeah. look at the SPY. But I just want to say one thing. I mentioned that, you know, I might not, I, I mentioned I might be hand and I heard snickering. I hope to God that was an EY from SoFi snickering. But we'll talk about it when she gets on camera. Back to you, please, Dan. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, when you think about Apple, one of the reasons why we do spend a lot of time talking about it, it does what 7% of the S&P 500. That's an index guy of how many stocks? Well, it would be 500, Dan. Right. So one stock makes up 7% of the weight of that index. So when you look at this SPY, you see it below that 200-day moving average. You see that it really was never able to get like materially above those kind of February highs where we saw a bounce. We did see a new low at the end of the month of that month. And, you know, I mean, listen, the line that Amanda drew, she's great at drawing lines. You know, it seems like we're going back there, Guy, for a whole host of reasons, largely to do with the fact that the market market has not priced in from a valuation standpoint what is likely to be much slower growth for the balance of 2022 that it consensus is calling for right now. I agree with that. We talked about this has the earmarks of a head and shoulders pattern, the measured move. You know, we've talked about 4,000 or 400 in this case being support. You know what I think? 3750 is the ultimate level and I can do the math to get you there. You know, we can talk about $230 being the S&P 500 earnings estimate, put a 16 and a half, 17 multiple on it and whammo. There's your math equation, Dan. But no, you're looking at a few stocks that are concerning you. And this is not in a vacuum. You've been talking about this since last summer. A lot of these stocks rolling over. They've rolled over in a meaningful way. They all bounced. But now they're giving it up a bit here, Dan. 
Yeah, I think this is important. And listen, this goes back to maybe some of the scar tissue that I still have from, you know, the bear market, the post.com boss 20 years ago. I mean, listen, you know, 2002, which was the third year um, in that bear market, if you think about the market topping out in March of 2000. In 02, man, it just was such a gut punch every day. It was like one step forward, two back. And I will say that one step forward oftentimes could be very profitable if you were playing from the long side. But a, a, just a, a thing that has just stuck with me for two decades now is that almost every single one of those rallies were uh, you know, greeted by new lows. And, and ultimately, it's going to create a situation where it's going to drag down the big leaders. That's why we spent some time talking about that, because these stocks are going so low that sooner or later, there's no one left to sell them. And, you know, Snowflake is up there down six and a half percent today. There's no news. This is a massive company, okay, with like a massive market cap here. It still trades 30 times this year's expected sales, which are actually likely to be lower than what consensus is, is expecting. Coinbase, you know, there's so much good sentiment around crypto, but yet this stock, which had a direct listing IPO last year at 250, is breaking 150 and making a new all-time low as we talk. And the list goes on and on. So I just feel like we're going to have new lows in these very soon, and then we're going to have some of the mega cap names follow suit after their earnings. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is just for context. Snowflake, I think, made an all-time high of about 450 five dollars ish traded down to 164 on march 14th it subsequently rallied 50 50 percent it went from basically 160 to 240 you can do that math and now here we are back at 200 i bring that up because these moves with a 63 billion dollar company are massive and you know i think sometimes we just we just throw these around without content i'm not saying you're doing it but the context here is really important. So these moves have been staggering, yet here we are back at $200, Dan. I think it's really interesting to look yeah. at. Well, yeah, but I, and just one more point. Okay, so if we just said 30 times this year's expected sales, and you just said it has a $63 billion market cap that was $120 billion six months ago, we can all do that math, okay? This is a company that literally has $2 billion. I know that sounds like a lot, but when it comes to enterprise software, that's not a lot, okay? And so it's just still out of whack here. So I'm not trying to hate on Snow because it's a bad company or bad management no. or bad product, but the, the valuation even down cut in half still doesn't make any sense. And that's not an indictment of the company. I think it's important that right. you bring that up. I mean, it's really not their fault that the stock got the valuations that it got to. This is a great company that was too expensive then, and to your point, it's probably too expensive now. We're not bearing the lead here, folks. We know what's going on with Twitter. Let's talk about everybody seems to be wanting to tweet about Twitter. And Amanda did a great job. I don't know what this is called, but she put together a nice little montage of some of the things. It's called a montage, guy. Oh, it's called a montage. Well, there you go. It's a good thing that I brought that up then. Speak to me, Dan, because it looks like CQ is just enjoying himself right here with the whole Twitter. I mean, listen, CQ is literally keeping Twitter, the lights on over there at Twitter by just kind of tweeting all morning long on about Twitter. I mean, listen, this is a bit of a sideshow. You and I are not going to spend a whole heck of a lot of time on this. I mean, listen, if I'm Elon and I'm the richest man in the world and I have an axe to grind with whoever he has an axe to grind, but he kind of thinks that, you know, he's doing this for the, the for the greater good he wants you know i don't know he's into free speech and he thinks that they squelch it so he wants to buy it he's given him until 420 his bid is 5420 the guy is a 50 year old man who acts like a 15 year old with an unlimited piggy bank it's pretty scary stuff in my opinion if i was a tesla shareholder or if i was a spacex shareholder i would not be amused at, at, at by any means by this and if he has a strategic purpose 
for Twitter, okay, as the CEO founder of Tesla, then Tesla should buy the company, right? And enough of all this bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Whoa, Whoa sorry about that. So can we here just we go are. Back, can we just go back to that prior Beep. screen real quick? I want to point something out. And we're going to bring EY in here. Stick around, EY. Can we sort of toggle back? And if you're playing MKT bingo, you win. You just win. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to tie a ribbon on this whole thing. We mentioned today's 414, which is the area code of Milwaukee. Then you asked me what was my favorite show, and I said Laverne and Shirley. You said something that I've never heard before, that 50s show. And then you said you bet Liz's favorite show would be Happy Days. Well, it's odd that in this whole confluence of events, in this little montage that Amanda made, it looks like Opie, Opie Taylor also downgraded Twitter. I'm seeing it on the second one. And, of course, as you know, Opie Taylor went on to play Richie Cunningham of Happy Days. See how I turned this whole thing around? Next screen, please. We'll look at the chart. Then we'll talk to EY. Back to you, Dan. Yeah, well, no, really quickly. So it's filled in that gap. I think that kind of fill or kill sort of offer that was made is something that, you know, the company is not likely to, to kind of speak too kindly to. And then when you look at the stock, we know that they're going to report in a week and a half or so. And the implied move in the options market is just massive right now, which you would expect it to be. I can't imagine it's going to be a particularly good quarter one way or another, but it's about 16% in either direction. And I would just say, mind that gap, man, mind because gap. if it if it goes back, if it fills in that whole gap guy and, you know, Elon's, I think his average is somewhere in the mid to high 30s or so, and they reject his offer. He's selling the stock. Now, maybe that's what the company wants, okay? That being Twitter and kind of have him out of the way, but he probably leaves the platform at that point. He probably joins like Truth Social or something like that and we really do have you know a bifurcated social media so they can have that as far as i'm concerned quickly tesla guy you thought you'd see 900 in this thing um mm-hmm. it's acting poorly today you know nothing that he's doing is causing shareholders to sell the stock i will tell you that i think his behavior is a bit irrational but draw a line in your head between the high from 2021 and the 200 day moving average and where the stock is right now Lower lows, lower highs, 889, 200-day moving average. By the time it gets there, it probably comes in right around 900. 903 being the prior high back in February of 2021. It all lines up. Well done by you, Dan. Great charting, by the way. I love these fact set charts. Well, it's 115. We got to bring EY from SoFi in. And here in my little rundown, it says EY opines. I don't know if that means talks about what we just were talking about, but maybe it does. I don't know. How are you, by the way? It was great seeing you last week. What do they call it, Dan, in real life when the kids... IRL. They call it IRL. IRL. Yeah, it was IRL. It was great. Well, I feel like it's my responsibility to bring some sunshine to this show. (laughs) My God. I know a few things for sure. We'd have nothing to talk about if it weren't for Carl Quintanilla today. Mm -hmm. And there are 500 stocks in the S&P 500. (laughs) Appreciate that. Nailed it. Guy thinks he's handsome. I heard you snickered. That was that's you all, snickering, that's all right? Got. That was that's you all snickering. I know okay, today. Fair. It was me. It was Wait, me. do you? All right, but Liz, so so when you listen to us for the last 10, 15 minutes or so, yeah. you, you think we're overly negative? And be honest. I almost I mean, jumped I mean, out that, the window. Yeah, yeah, but you think we're overly negative? I think you're highlighting the negatives. Yeah. And I think that there are definitely negatives out there, and stock prices have moved in a negative fashion for sure. And we gave up a lot of that rally. I think we're going to continue to go through that. We'll have these little relief rallies and then we'll give some of it back. I don't think we're going to go anywhere meaningful in the next, I don't know, four to six months, really. But I don't also I don't think there's a big bear market coming. I don't think that there's anything that's going to be worse than how we felt 
in January and February, unless there's another black swan out there that, that I don't see coming, which I guess is the definition of a black swan is that you don't see it coming. But I don't think that there's anything terrible that's going to happen. I just don't think we're going to make a lot of progress. Right. But I would just say this. And, and again, you know, going back to my scar tissue and there's plenty of it. I mean, you know, one of the things that we haven't seen just yet is that, you know, we've seen pockets of our economy meaningfully slow. We've seen other pockets that have done really well. And the ones that if you just mash them up together, it doesn't really speak well for corporate margins. Like that's the point. So the thing that maybe is not priced in right now, Liz, in my opinion, is, and Guy and I spent a lot of time talking about what are expectations, what is valuation, what is historical valuation. And, you know, we talk about peak, 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 and I know you're going to talk about some peak stuff. We're also at peak corporate margins at a time where most corporations are seeing things that they've never seen before. Okay. So to me, a meaningfully guide lower, a meaningful guide lower. If you had the sort of guidance that we just saw out of the banks, okay, in mega cap tech stocks, then the S&P is going to be down 20% from its highs. I'm just telling you flat out. I don't mean to be so certain about it. From what highs? Well, I mean, from the highs in January 4th. I mean, so we're down 7% right now, okay, uh, on the year-ish, 7.5% in the S&P 500. So that's what I'm telling you. And maybe I'm just jaded. So tell me how we don't have a scenario where S&P earnings right now as they exist are not too high and that margins are not going to be impacted going forward. Well, I think the first half of the year, earnings are going to be slightly disappointing. I mean, what's the the blended growth rate right now for Q1 is like 4.7% or something, which is uninspiring at best, right? So I don't think earnings are going to be great for the first half of the year, and that's not going to provide us with a positive catalyst for huge upside. I don't disagree with anything you said. I think that we are in a challenging environment, and the decision that a lot of investors have to make right now is how far along in the cycle are we? The way that you put at least a positive spin on it or more of a, okay, then what do we do about it spin is it never really means that you take everything out of the market. It never means that you don't invest. It never means that you stop investing. It's just a matter of where is there opportunity, right? What should you buy in that environment? And I mean, I'll admit the bank action, the the financials action is really disappointing. I was pretty bullish on financials coming into this year. This is not how I expected it to turn out. And it has given me pause. I've had to sit back and say, okay, this again is another signal that we're getting to later in the cycle. We've got cyclicals rolling over. We've got things that can't do well, and there's no good guidance that we're hearing from it either. The chance, however, that we get to a point where we have something that is interpreted as a dovish pivot from the Fed changes that entire story. And that's where you've got the very small chance that they land the plane or whatever we want to call it. You get a little dovish pivot. You get cyclicals that don't get beaten up quite as badly and tech rallies, the two-year rallies, the curve steepens, right? If it all fell in line that way, that's the way that it works out. If it doesn't fall in line that way, you still have to give people an option for what they should be doing in a crappy environment, which is defensives, it's healthcare, it's by the twos, right? Or even by the tens, by the yield curve. So I think that's the way you put a little bit more of a positive spin on it. So the, the reason I get to 37.50 for a while, $230 in S&P 500 earnings, you know, historic multiple of 16 and a half is not ridiculous, especially with rates rising, that gets you to 37.95-ish, which is close enough for government work. I had to take my road test back in the day. I think it was 
if memory serves, I don't know, 1978, 79, I know that's crazy, but you had to know what these signs meant. And when I was a kid, these signs didn't exist, but apparently in your world, they do. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Speak to me. Yeah. Well, I took my road test in a minivan in 1998. I had to parallel park in a minivan and I nailed it. Okay. So inflation, we got inflation readings this week. I think a lot of it has been overshadowed by all the Twitter news, but inflation came in hot to nobody's surprise. PPI came in hot, hotter than CPI. And we still have an inflation problem, right? Also not a surprise. But what it did was all of a sudden, everybody wants to call peak inflation. And my problem with this, the title of this column is one peak leads to another. My problem with this is that we're talking about it as if, okay, this was peak inflation. If that's true, still doesn't solve all our problems, right? doesn't mean that it's going to suddenly go back down to 3% next month. So even if 8.5 is the peak, we still have, I don't know, 8.2 next month, 7.9 the month after mm-hmm. that. And my concern is that right now, and everybody's been talking about the strength of the consumer, maybe recently people stopped talking about it so much, but what if peak inflation is also peak spending? And that's consumer spending and business spending, in which case, yeah, inflation starts to moderate, but people pull back on what they're spending money on. They stop buying as much goods. They have to make tough choices. I've got a ton of anecdotal evidence about that. Sometimes people don't like anecdotal evidence, but the choices that consumers have already been making, I'm not going to buy that. I'm not going to go on that trip. I'm going to drive instead of fly, right? If that continues for the next few months, you've got to pull back in spending. I think we're going to hear in these next few earnings seasons from businesses, we're already hearing it. We don't know what's going to happen. So you have businesses hitting the pause button on spending. They're not going to do a ton of investment. I think CapEx gets hit in that equation. And then we have to get to a point where the environment actually gets materially better to lift spending back up. So even if we are peak inflation, does not solve all the problems, still have a little bit of bumpiness ahead of us in the market. So I was in Nashville, Tennessee a few weeks ago. I ran into my, I didn't run into him. We made a point of going out. It was my friend Paul Maloney who's watching right now. And he put on Twitter yesterday, and this speaks to exactly what you're speaking to. Peak inflation is fine, but I'll give you two more words that start with P-E. That would be persistent, his word, and pesky, my word. Both things will be true. And I think that sort of exactly speaks to what you were just saying. And don't think, by the way, I was not fooled by this one peak leads to another. If you follow me on Twitter, <laughs> which you all should do, you were obviously channeling your inner The Fix Band, which was a really shitty band, and another shitty song, One Thing Leads to Another. Tell me that I'm wrong. Well, Liz, how come, wrong. How, come, you know, wrong. how come you don't give him a woa when he swears? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you do when I do. I mean, it's just you're just being kind to your elders here a little bit. Hey, listen, I think you bring uh, up both my elders to be but clear. That, that is a matter of fact. <laughs> but Liz, I, you bring up a really good point. You know, we spend so much time talking about consumer spending, right? And we know that consumer balance sheets were obviously buffeted by, you know, all that fiscal stimulus over the pandemic. And now we're seeing wage growth and we're seeing a tight labor market. But I think a really great point, and this is one of the things that I wanted to make about some of these big businesses, right? Like if we do see corporates pull back on CapEx, right? Like that is the thing that will be a perpetuating like a self-perpetuating thing that will be have our economy, I think, teetering on a bit of a recession here. So I think it's really important to watch. And then one other thing, in the fall, 
Do you guys remember when Snapchat, Snap, had a really bad quarter and they said that they saw a pullback in advertising because of the uncertainty, right, of, you know, all of the other things that you think that a company like Snapchat should be insulated from supply chain issues, but their advertisers are not. Right. Well, and and think about it. And now I sound like I'm on the negative bandwagon, but think about it. You you do a pullback in spending first. What comes next? You lay people off, mm-hmm. right? And that's where you don't want to get to because that's that's the finishing. That's like the nail in the coffin. The labor market is one of the last things yeah. that feels the pain. So this is more so an indication of let's just watch this. Let's make sure that some of these things don't take a hit and let's not put so much importance or so much stock in the fact that, well, but spending is at all time highs. CapEx is at all time highs. Whatever is at all time highs. It all might peak right around the same time. And if it starts to come down the other side, that's when you have to make sure that your portfolio is prepared. But here's the thing. You got to make sure your portfolio is prepared. (laughs) Too many Ps. Your portfolio is prepared beforehand, right? I use this analogy all the time. You can't call the firefighters, you know, after the house has been burning and yeah. it's already at the ground. So yeah. you got to get ready ahead Let's, of time. Guy, we're going to have to work always on very, They're always very attractive people. By the way, if you wanted alliteration there, I would have given you portfolio prepared a priori. See, that's my Jesuit education. Amazing. Sort of it is amazeballs, actually. Dan, you like this Lollapalooza stuff and – we got something called Bankapalooza here, which that, really makes me that's win. all that's all Amanda here. But, but and please, that, you, you will not find that here. on your market call bingo <laughs> <No>. card <laughs> today here. Well, here's the thing, you know, and I just want to be really clear on this. So, you know, we we have the pleasure of you joining us each Thursday. It is not like this Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday where we're just kind of laying out the bear case every day. And some people do think it's the bear cave. We do think it's important, just like you're kind of helping SoFi clients think about how to prepare for different markets and how to invest through difficult times. One of the things that Guy and I, one, one of the reasons we do what we do is that we think that most of the people are just permabulls out there, most of the strategists, most investors, most analysts. And I think it's kind of helpful to think about what are some of the things that could go wrong, right, a little bit. And so for us to spend so much time, what we think is a really important period, we actually think, Guy and I are in agreement on this, we think we could be on a precipice of something that, you know, is kind of big. And when you look at the sort of price action that we alluded to in these banks, man, after these earnings, after people expected the earnings to be bad and the stocks act this way, guy, talk to me about this because at one point, Wells Fargo is down, what, six and a half percent this morning. Yeah. And I will tell you the most, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times, the things that I take from bank earnings, I look at everything, but the two things I really focus on are net interest margin, which you speak of. And actually for JP Morgan, the number is pretty good. The other one I look at is tangible book. And JP Morgan was supposed to come out, the consensus for tangible book was 72 and a hook, as they say, that's 72 and a half. It came out 69 and a hook, which doesn't sound like a big deal. But as I mentioned last night on Fast Money, it's a big deal. Why? Because as valuations get ratcheted down and people start trying to put a multiple on what's the right multiple tangible book. Well, a two tangible book for JP Morgan, you can do the math. That's $140 stock. But in this environment, probably should be closer to 1617, which gets us right back into a gap that JP Morgan will fill. It also then will break the trend line for the XLF, which you drew right here. So this is a very important trend line. You have to watch it. A series of lower lows, lower highs. You break this 37-ish level. And you know what? I mention it all the time. And get ready, folks, because you're about to win. 
Katie, bar the door if it breaks 37, because my sense is we're going to see low 30s, Dan. All right, Liz, give it to us. You said you came into earnings season wanting to be constructive on bank stocks. Why? And is yeah. it because you're looking out and saying, all right, we're going to have a steeper yield curve, which you already said. And so the back half of the year, if these stocks start to discount, you know, some of this kind of rockiness between now and then, they probably set up as good values. Well, coming into the year, I didn't think that we were so decidedly late cycle. And I still do think that there's a chance for bank stocks. And, and even in my personal portfolio, I got to stop using peas today. Yeah. I still own a, a decent amount of financials. I haven't sold them, but I'm not going to add to them. So if you think about if the two-year does rally, if we get a dovish pivot and the two-year does rally, that is going to be good for banks. That is going to support the stocks. There's also this thesis around the idea that consumers are going to have to start borrowing more because they're going to run out of cash. That's a profitable business when rates are rising, right? But if it coincides with a recession coming sooner than anybody expected, banks are going to get very much hit in that equation. I think right now you got to be careful with the cyclicals. You own defensives and you own tech because if we get these relief rallies, the relief is going to be in tech. It's not going to be in the cyclicals at this point, not to mention in a midterm election year where we're not going to get any new spending. We're not going to have clarity on what's coming out of Washington until at least November, December. Cyclicals are going to have a hard time in that period. I agree. In our final few minutes, by the way, again, alliteration notwithstanding and wave to that dude over your, I believe that's your left shoulder, seemingly doing nothing there. It's my man, <laughs> Butters. Yeah, I didn't forget about him, Dan. Butters is the man. We've actually had him on with us here on Market Call. Again, an earnings insight. Speak to me, Dan, because again, it speaks to profit margins. It speaks to all the things we've been talking about for a while. It, Liz talked about it earlier. You know, if margins are going to start to get hit with higher costs, that's going to be problematic. Yeah. So what John Butters is saying in his weekly earnings insight note. So thank you, John, for a preview of this. He's basically saying that if Q1 2022 comes in with expectations about 12.1%. That's below the previous quarter's net profit margin of 12.4. So basically, we're seeing this still above the five-year average, but it's been declining for three quarters in a row. Now, that's not a huge surprise. We know that inflation pressures have been building. And I guess the point, going back to our P words, if it does remain persistent, if inflation does, there's just no way that profit margins are going to be able to kind of be maintained at those sorts of levels. And if if you have margins for the S&P 500, an index of 500 stocks, which is really driven by a handful of stocks, and many of those stocks have much higher margins than that 12% number right now, we could find ourselves in a position where investors are revaluing the S&P 500 a little bit. So that's kind of my take here. If you are in the camp of persistent inflation, then you must be ready for lower corporate profit margins. It's that simple, and that means a with rates higher, and it means lower margins. It means people are going to be paying less for those stocks, in my opinion. I'll tell you guys what. Yeah. If you're right and something big is coming, we get a bear market. The S&P ends up down 20% again. Yeah. I will do a column. I will eat crow. Uh-oh. And then I will do a column with a name that has something to do with the black crows. Like she talks to angels, something. Ooh. Right? Well, that so would be hard be, to handle. It would be hard to handle. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold oh, on. Guy, 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 guy. Pretty little thing. Let me light your candle because ah. you know she's hard to handle. I mean, that that writes itself, as they say. And it listen, not I'll that write I it need now to... and then I'll just release it when it's ready. That's a good idea. It's like you have those you have you have the obituaries ready for older people where, you know, the inevitable is coming. <laughs> and it's amazing how 
quickly they can sort of put that on the news. And I know you're laughing, but you know I'm right. All these peas, <laughs> by the way, you mentioned it. At my age, it's a problem. It's like putting your hand in water. It's something – there's also an inevitability there. So at 131 uh, – I know I digress. Somebody just won bingo. But we got a, we got a 5,000 here. And I will tell you, I know this for a fact. You're on the committee and you're doing OT and this, that, the other thing. But you have more fun on this than all those other things combined. You don't have fact. to address it. I know that's true. I no, know this to fact. be true. It's I know fact. these truths to be self-evident going back to my sort of U.S. history stuff. But that's it for Market Call. I'm Guy Adami, EY from SoFi, Dan Nathan, Butters, the whole crew. Thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi. Get it right in one app, people. I mean, what else can you ask for? And open exchange. For more great content from the aforementioned Liz Young, follow her on Twitter, at Liz Young Strat, and sign up for SoFi's daily newsletter at SoFi.com slash daily, not backslash, slash daily, to read Liz's articles every Thursday. Next week, of course, will be the Black Crows-themed article. <laughs> That's it. We'll see you Monday at 1 o'clock, peeps. See later. you, Liz.